Thanks to Indeed for supporting the Apple Bits XL. When hiring gets hard, you need Indeed, the job site that makes hiring incredibly simple. Just attract, interview, and hire. In fact, with Indeed, you can do all of your hiring in one place, even interviewing. So if you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash AppleBits. Offer valid through September 30th. Terms and conditions apply. All right, everybody. Let's get to the show. Are you bobbing your head yet? I'm bobbing my head. I'm bobbing my head to the beat. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. It's the Apple Bits XL. Brian Tong here, your host, doing the most for everything good and bad inside the world of Apple. Welcome, everyone. If you are new, we welcome you with open arms. For those of you that are regulars, for those of you that are coming back or maybe recently just discovered the show, Thank you so much for hanging out with us. This is really where we talk about all the latest and greatest big stuff really around the world of Apple and then the greater tech world as whole. So thank you so much for coming out here. This is episode 178. That's pretty crazy to me. I mean, we're almost at 200. Thank you so much for all of you who have really allowed this and continue to make this happen. But what this episode, we're going to talk about Apple's new MagSafe battery pack that they just released. Uh, There's a lot of kind of subtle things, ins and outs to kind of break down about that. And then obviously, I'm going to give you your iPhone 13 rumors. We're going to talk about the new betas that Apple released. I think there's some important stuff happening around there. And then we've also got some Apple Watch stuff that is, I guess for me this week, probably the most interesting. It didn't get the biggest headline, but it's really going to help dictate the future of the Apple Watch. And then really, how soon is that coming or not? But before we get to that, let's get some orders of business out of the way. First of all, be a part of the show. We got calls this week. I'm going to put them in. All you have to do if you want to be a part of it here, you really add flavor and texture to the show. Record a voice memo on whatever device you have, whatever platform you're on, and then send it along to applebitsshow at gmail.com. That's applebits with a Z. And then your name, where you're from, get to it. Try to keep it around a minute, 30 to two minutes tops. That's really the best. But I will say I made an exception for one call this week. So we'll get to the calls towards the end of the show, but that's how you'd be a part of it. Just send it in, applebitsshow at gmail.com. Also, this show is brought to you by you. Patreon.com is how you support my content and really how you support this podcast. It starts at $2 per month. That's patreon.com slash Tong. It goes up to $5, which is a cup of coffee, 10, the 25, or the $100 platinum Apple level. And what you get is early access to my content, bonus rewards at every level, and then a completely ad-free version of this podcast. Plus, we do some other things like giveaways on my Patreon, as well as our monthly Zoom call, which we just wrapped up this week, which was lots of fun as usual, where we just hang out for an hour and talk shop and really just hang out and talk about whatever you all want. So patreon.com slash Tong is how you support this. And I'm so grateful for everything you all have done. Um, We continue to kind of crank through, and I couldn't do it without you. All right. Let's get to the show, and we're going to start off with Apple's MagSafe battery pack. This is a new product that they just dropped this week. There were rumors that they were working on something like this, but a lot of interesting tidbits from this specific product has now made me, I'm going to, how about this, not, I don't want to use the words think different about Apple, but reminds me of what Apple does behind the scenes sometimes that maybe we shouldn't always be so happy about, even if we still are in the ecosystem, even if us, many of us listening have multiple, like arguably more than two Apple products. Some here might have three to five. Some some of you hardcore folks right now, if you look at what you have, you probably have most people that are listening here arguably have three to five different Apple products and definitely that over over their lifetime. So Apple's MagSafe battery pack, this is a magnetic wireless battery pack that connects to the entire iPhone 12 family because it has the MagSafe technology, which is, you know, kind of snaps on, links them together. So this works with the iPhone 12, the iPhone 12 mini, the iPhone 12 Pro, and the iPhone 12 Pro Max. It's priced at $99. And this, obviously, if it's a battery pack, it's going to give you extra battery life for your iPhone. Now, you can also use this not just with the iPhone 12 lineup, but let's say something like the iPhone 11, which supports wireless charging, supports Qi charging, you can rest this battery pack on top of it. It won't stick and stay with it because there are no magnets there, but it works as well. 
Now the battery pack charges an iPhone 12 model at five watts when you're out and about. So let's say I'm at Disneyland. I just want to slap this pack on. It's a five watt charge. So obviously not the fastest. Here's kind of a little interesting tidbit about this though. This is the thing that opened my eyes about it. This battery pack has revealed that Apple's iPhone 12 family indeed supports reverse wireless charging. So let's say you have your iPhone and you connect your iPhone directly into a power adapter, so through that lightning connector, and then you put the battery pack on top of it, once the iPhone basically charges somewhere around 80% or higher, while it is still plugged in with that power adapter, it will also charge up the MagSafe battery pack at the same time. This is the first Apple product that is using reverse wireless charging, and yes, the iPhone has to be plugged in, But it has revealed to us that reverse wireless charging has been in the iPhone 12 this entire time. Remember, there were so many reports and speculation about when are they going to finally bring wireless charging? Apple, even if you look at the details on the website for the MagSafe battery pack, uh, they're selling it again for $99 right now. It's available. They're not going into like, oh, this also supports reverse wireless charging for the iPhone 12. And it's... I know some of you don't care about reverse wireless charging, and I'm not saying it's the biggest deal, but it does have utility. It has utility for me. And it's, they don't, it's not a big deal to them. And to me, it's more like you've held back on this feature when you really could have released it and said it was there the whole time. Fine, I guess. But it, it reminds you when, for example, when I made a big fuss about the iPhone 12 Pro Max having a different camera system with the sensor shift image stabilization. And I'm like, are they only doing that because it's the larger phone and they want to differentiate it? Or could they have actually used that image stabilization on the standard 12 Pro? Because I didn't like the fact that these are both pro cameras, but they have completely different camera systems. If they're pro and one is pro max, fine, give them the extra screen space, but don't change don't make other fundamental, really core aspects of the product different if they are both pro products. So maybe they really could have because all the reports are that the iPhone 13 coming up to us this year, all models potentially, including the 12 mini, are gonna have this image, uh, sorry, sensor shift image stabilization, which really does improve. And they're already really good, but kind of takes it up just a little extra like next edge of better stabilization when you're walking and taking videos and stuff i mean it it does make a difference so now it's like oh yeah reverse charging is here it's actually always been here we just prevented you from using it so (laughs) apple has not provided details on how much actual additional battery life the iphone um user can get using the magsafe battery pack one thing i forgot to note is that Yes, when you put the wireless battery pack on an iPhone and rest it, it only char- and you're on the go, it charges at 5 watts. But let's say the battery pack is on top of an iPhone and the battery pack itself is plugged into a lightning to USB cable and that happens to be connected to maybe a 20 watt or higher charger. So we're t- saying put your cable into the battery pack itself and connect that battery pack into a 20 watt or higher charger. The phone is able to charge through MagSafe's battery pack at 15 watts. But again, you would have to be physically wired. So the other thing of this is that, okay, well, that kind of defeats the purpose of it being on the go. It is an option, which is fine. But we have so many options already out there that are with a physical connection. So for example, let's say when I go to Disneyland, I throw my phone... I have like a battery power bank. It's a Belkin one. It's only USB-A. It's not even a USB-C one. And when my battery's low, I just plug that bad boy in, throw it in my bag, leave it alone, let it chill for about 30 minutes to an hour, and I get a good chunk of juice back. I feel like maybe even like around 30 to 40% if I if I think about it. Well, something like that costs like 40 bucks to 50 bucks. This Apple wireless battery pack costs $99. So from a pure value proposition, right, that's going to be different. I think one thing that in our Zoom 
kind of group call that uh, one of our participants, John, made a point is that, you know, he does trust the fact that because it's an Apple product, they're probably going to be a lot more efficient with how the battery life is used and how that affects the actual phone. And I think that's a great point because, you know, they're doing software stuff behind the scenes where third party ones, they're just feeding you, you know, the juice from the battery. There still isn't an exact documentation of how much juice you're getting. They don't say, oh, it's a full charge because this MagSafe battery pack has an 11.13 watt hour battery inside. Um, If you compare that to something like an iPhone 12 and 12 Pro, they have a 10.78 watt hour battery. The iPhone 12 mini has an 8.57 watt hour battery. So let's say at least for the mini, you're probably getting a full charge from there. We know that wireless charging is not as efficient and sometimes some of that battery capacity is lost. So that's why it's not entirely clear. You got something like the 12 Pro Max that has a 14.13 watt hour battery. Clearly, the MagSafe battery pack at 11.13 watt hours would not would not be able to give that thing anything close to a full battery life with one charge. So the other thing is that some of these third-party power banks, they just have so much more of a larger internal battery. I can charge an iPhone with that Belkin one that's 40 or 50 bucks pretty much almost one and a half to two times where this MagSafe battery pack is not as much. Now, the other thing to point here is that, okay, well, who is this battery pack for? Yeah, it's pricier. Yes, it is an Apple product. And maybe this isn't for those of us who always have our phone charged. This is like for a lot of people that maybe it's their last last second emergency. Oh no, I don't, I, I didn't charge my phone all the way. Ah, let me throw this on. You know, we talked a lot about this in, again, I'm going to reference it, our Zoom call. And Peter, one of one of the supporters was like, hey, this is this is not really targeted for those hardcore users that are super OCD and need their phone to be charged constantly, whether it's through the car or whether you're at your desk and then you're always around, you know, those are the people that get a little nervous when they see like 50% battery juice and they they already know that they're going to plug it in. This is more for those users that kind of go through the day and then kind of forget. They're like, look at their phone and say, oh, uh, I need a quick charge and they throw it on there. So I think this comes down to use case as well. This is not really a battery case for everyone. I ordered one. I'll do the unboxing. I mean, the unboxing is going to be the thing, but we'll talk about some of the features and some of the other things. Um, Apple has claimed or in reports that they're only doing a five watt wireless charge because it's to keep the battery pack from overheating and to be more efficient. And so we'll see what how this plays out. I think that there's those of you who are just going to buy this instantly. It doesn't matter. But there's a lot of people that are being like, you know what, I'm, I'm okay with what I got. And it's going it, to, the battery pack itself looks thicker than the actual phones, um, at least visually. I won't know this until I actually get my hands on it. Mine's expected to come sometime between July 19th and 21st. Um, if you, so that would be, if it comes on Monday, I'll, I'll put a video out right on the spot. But right now, if I check, I believe shipping times show July 26th to 28th if you're ordering them online directly through Apple. So MagSafe battery pack, $99, available now. What do y'all think? Is that something that's really for you or you don't even care? Or it's like, uh, that's a little too much for me, even if it is an Apple MagSafe battery. I'm more curious, did they put stronger magnets in the battery? Because I've seen third-party companies use use significantly stronger magnets on their third-party side compared to, let's say, something like, I'm, I'm not giving it a hard time, but the Apple MagSafe wallet, it works, and but it, it the connection doesn't feel really, you can kind of slide it off pretty easily, um, whereas I've seen some mounts that they're really sturdy. So I'm curious if they've done, if they've kind of, you know, adjusted and realized, okay, we need to make the magnets at least on this power battery pack a little stronger to stay in place. We'll find out. So we're going to stick here, obviously, with the iPhone 13. We've got some stories that are, you know, little things trickling out here and there. And the latest report from Digitime says that this new iPhone 13 that is set to launch in 2021 will feature the improved Wi-Fi 6E protocol. So this is um, an extended version of Wi-Fi 6, and it gives those users 
access to the six gigahertz band. So you have like the 2.4, you have five, and then you have six. And why that's advantageous is because there's going to be improved speeds because they won't be all at least hogging those same bandwidths. Also, you get improved security. And then there's different management with Wi-Fi 6 specifically. And then you kind of get those advantages in 6E of how they manage the bandwidth between devices. And because there's more available, it's a lot more efficient. Also, if you didn't guess already, you do need to have a Wi-Fi 6E router to take advantage of Wi-Fi 6E speed and benefits. So you actually have the have to have the hardware in place. This is not something that is earth shattering. Most of us here, even myself, I don't even have a Wi-Fi 6E router. Uh, we're not going to be able to take advantage of it right away. It's kind of a more future-proofing feature, but it's nice to have. The big thing also is with Wi-Fi 6E, you just don't have as, as many devices competing in all these different bands. I mean, think about how many 2.4 gigahertz and two and 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi products are all competing in your household right now. So Wi-Fi 6E kind of adds another band and allows more devices to work more efficiently there. It's just, it's like opening up some more roads on the freeway, but you have to have the right cars to get on that freeway. Did that make sense? I think that made sense. So iPhone 13 expected to get Wi-Fi 6E as an improvement. The other thing is that the LiDAR sensor, which is used really for augmented reality, as well as the low light portrait photo mode that was just an, uh, introduced in the first iPhone 12 family lineup with the LiDAR. Those LiDAR sensor scanners are currently on the Pro and the Pro Max. There were rumors that they might be coming to the entire iPhone 13 lineup, but Digitimes also is reporting that it will only stick to the 13 Pro and 13 Pro Max. So whether or not you're using those to the fullest, uh, that benefit of the LiDAR scanner still will be reserved for the higher Pro models. We also have a report from Bloomberg's Mark Gurman and Debbie Wu. Apple for this year is looking to boost their initial production of the iPhone 13. Supposedly, they'll be boosting it to 90 million units through the end of the year. The reason why that might be significant and what Apple's expecting with their current refresh and upgrade cycles is that that's an increase of over 20% compared to the 75 million units of the iPhone 12 that were produced last year in their initial production. So there may be more momentum behind this iPhone 13. Uh, if it's called the 13 or if it's called the 12S, I know 13's in an unlucky number, but maybe Apple doesn't even care because really does, is there anything involved with luck with Apple anymore? Not really. They're, they're, just, they're just a beast. Pretty much anything they put out is still going to get incredibly well-received by their core audience, whether or not it's a really good product or not, um, people are going to buy it. It's, 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 it's just the fact of the matter. But we already know a lot about this iPhone 13 lineup, right? Same four sizes as the current lineup with the Mini, the Pro, the, sorry, the Mini, the Standard, the Pro, and then the Pro Max. An announcement will be coming sometime around September. That's going to stay the same. And then at least one model of these phones will support the 120 hertz ProMotion refresh rate. We don't know if it's only going to be a Pro Max for sure or if it will be given to the Pro and the Pro Max. I really hope it's for the Pro and the Pro Max. There's been reports that the notch will be a little smaller. They're integrating kind of the speaker that you normally see within the notch and sliding it to the top edge, which allows them to pack things up and make that notch a little smaller. It's still going to be there. But from Bloomberg's report, they are saying that there is no... Touch ID in display fingerprint scanner that will be found in the iPhone 13. You know, a lot of people were hoping that they'd take another leap. We obviously know Apple's trying to get rid of the notch eventually. Actually, I don't think they're trying. They're really, really, really trying because I think they're happy with it. I think Face ID does serve its purpose. It's just that the notch is still the notch. Um, I'm still not a fan of it, but it's it does have utility. So the Touch IDs in-screen display sensor that everyone's hoping for, it was actually reported that it had been tested specifically for this phone, but apparently does not make the cut, and it's still not determined if Touch ID in the display will even make it in the 2022 iPhone. So that's still 
up in the air. And that that also kind of leads me to be, hmm, we might be pretty far away from this whole dream, high concept, portless phone if they're not even talking about the Touch ID sensor in the 2022 iPhone with confidence, right? That doesn't that doesn't look good in regards to that. Okay, so fine. That's another piece of tech that Android phones have had for a while, and it really works really well on the uh, S21 Ultra. How about a camera? I've been kind of touting this and, you know, banging my fists in the air about Apple getting better optical zoom. And quite honestly, they physically can't with the current design. They need a periscope-type folded camera lens inside their phone body if they want to take any big jumps and make any significant improvements. Well, a report from Patently Apple recently found a patent from Apple titled Folded Camera that was filed with the United States Patent and Trademark Office. And in here, it shows off the designs of what is really that periscope camera technology that we've seen in, I believe, Huawei phones specifically and Samsung. In fact, I believe it was Huawei and Samsung that worked together to initially develop this periscope lens. And then they both ended up launching it in their phones. Samsung's Galaxy S20 Ultra was their first phone that had it. But now Apple has a patent for their own periscope lens. And we know right now iPhone's current optical zoom is at 2x or 2.5x if you're on the 12 Pro Max. And I don't know if you remember this, but Remember when Apple first touted those iPhones, they said, oh, the the iPhone 12 Pro Max has a five, was it, I think they called it a 5X zoom range. And everyone first on, when you first see 5X zoom, you're like, oh my God, Apple has an optical 5X. Finally, they've done something significant. But it was a zoom range, meaning they factored in the ultra wide camera of how far it zooms out, which I believe is like, you know, I don't want to call it negative two, but zooms out wider and then zooms in two and a half times optical. So you're getting, if you add up the zoom out and the zoom in, you get 5X. It's not a true, it's not 5X optical. It's just a zoom range. I thought it was a little shady to kind of present it because almost everyone that when they saw the announcement again, remember this announcement happens really quick on the fly and then they move on to the next thing. Most people thought it was like, wait, 5X optical or what's 5X zoom range? We Why, why are they putting it that way? No other camera manufacturer, uh, at least for phones, I think have touted or advertised zoom range until Apple did, at least from my recollection over all these years. So Apple, need, they know they're significantly behind here. According to the report and the patent, well, it's been granted, but... This looks like something that might be coming in 2022 or is it really going to come in 2022 or are we talking more like 2023? You know, I I don't, we haven't even really even seen any reports in, from the manufacturing side or leaks that this is actually physically being implemented even in test designs yet. And so, hey, a 10x optical zoom on the S21 Ultra, it gives you so much more versatility. It allows you to do so many more things with your camera without losing any fidelity and without it going into kind of the digital processing that fakes, you know, a zoom. So we're just gonna have to wait. I it is one of the big the thing is that none of us, even though we know this, we're not leaving the ecosystem just and 10x zoom is impressive. I mean it's it's damn good, but what, they're going to be trailing again three or four years in technology that other companies have because the ecosystem is so strong and they can? It's just like, wow. We we need that ASAP. I don't know about you, but that is something that sh- they need to get out ASAP. Like, what, the next phone should technically be a new design? Please, 2022, give me that Periscope. Give me that Periscope. All right, and you know, you know that I kind of like like these things um, when they add them to the iPhone. Emojis! Who doesn't love their emojis? I love them. So the Unicode Consortium, I can't even say it properly, 
the Unicode Consortium. This is the organization and kind of the governing body that reveals what are the next emojis that are going to be planned in the next release. So I believe they're at Emoji 14. You can check out this stuff online. I believe Emojipedia is a is a resource where you can kind of see what, what's cooking in their blog of, oh, what new emojis are coming. So they showed off some new ones, and this is exciting because we care about emojis. Um, there's like different faces. One's a, a melting face where the bottom of it looks like it's melting into butter. There's a hands over the mouth with the eyes open. There's like a peekaboo. There's a salute to attention. There's watery eyes. Those are some of the new face emojis. There's new hand gestures like handshakes, hands down, hands up, two hands forming a heart, or a single hand forming a hand heart with your thumb and index finger. If you see my videos, I do that in my videos. It's a hand heart. It's a hand heart. Okay, you love it. Uh, also, there's like a new crown emoji. There's like a a pregnant man emoji that, uh, I mean, the only pregnant man that I know of is in Portland who made major headlines for that. But I don't know how commonly that's going to be used, or is that supposed to be a full tummy? It looks more like pregnant man. Uh, there's a biting lip. There's like a an ogre troll, coral, a nest, and then an empty nest. There's beans. There's a slide. There's a low battery one, a disco ball. It's kind of like an Illuminati fortune teller eye. There's a crutch. Look, there's more emojis. More emojis are always good. Uh, as of this recording, Saturday, July the 17th is... I think it's called, is it National Emoji Day or Emoji Appreciation Day? Whatever. Typically in the past, Apple has put out a news release detailing, oh, how what, some of the new emojis because the Unicode Consortium creates this kind of general look and then each manufacturer or company adds on their own flavor. That's why you see Android emojis or even difference from Samsung to Google to Apple to other phones. They look a little different, but they're still at least fundamentally the same emoji. Anyways. Like, I really appreciate the peach emoji. Um, but you've got a ton of these. It's fun. It's coming out. Check out the site. And if you're into that, uh, I think you enjoy it. it. And typically, the emojis come out uh, in fall, not with the launch of the iPhone, the new OS. Typically, it's if we're at iOS 15 coming this year, you'll see it on either iOS 15.1 or 0.2. At least that's what's happened historically. So just be ready because we're getting new emojis. Okay, I'll stop. I swear I'll stop. All right, everybody. Thanks again to Indeed for sponsoring the Apple Bits XL. When hiring gets hard, you need Indeed, the job site that makes hiring incredibly simple. Just attract, interview, and hire. In fact, with Indeed, you can do all of your hiring in one place, even interviewing. Don't just hope your perfect candidate is going to find you. Indeed's hiring tools help you cut through the noise to hire faster and smarter. In fact, Indeed's Instant Match provides a list of quality candidates whose resumes are on Indeed the moment you post a sponsored job. Indeed Instant Match helps you make a short list of great candidates and fast. The moment you sponsor a job, you get a list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description, then you can invite them to apply right then. Indeed helps you hire great people and fast. Plus, Indeed makes finding quality candidates even faster with 135 assessments to help you make sure you find applicants with the right skills. Best of all, you only pay for applicants who meet your must-have qualifications. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent first. Get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash AppleBits. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash AppleBits. Indeed.com slash AppleBits. Offer valid through September 30th. Terms and conditions apply. All right, all right. Let's get back to the show in. Apple this week released their third developer beta for all their OSs, iOS 15, iPadOS 15, tvOS 15, watchOS 8, macOS Monterey. Did I, did I miss any? Well, so this is the third developer betas. They also released the second public betas that are available for those of you that decided to sign up and try out the public betas on some of your hardware. And again, I recommend... Put it on a second device, not your main primary device. That is just dumb in my in my personal opinion. I really tell people just don't do it unless you have um, a second device. But one of the things that happens specifically in the third developer beta that stands out, sure, there's little tweaks and improvements here and there, but the biggest thing is that Apple's really listened to a lot of the user feedback, which wasn't so hot about Safari, and they made 
really fundamental user experience changes to it. Now, I, I'm going to talk about it really briefly because it really makes sense more to see it. I put in my video. But what had happened is if you're using the iOS 15 beta, Apple completely redesigned Safari where the URL bar and the search bar that you're normally used to at the top of your web browser hangs out at the bottom. And even that alone first became jarring. Um, and more more than anything, it was jarring for me because depending on when you used it, okay, you're on a site, you can see the URL at the bottom. That's fine. It minimizes and it's still there a little bit when you're reading a site. But then if you want to click on it and search for a new website or a term, the, the, the actual URL bar would jump all the way to the top. And then you have a keyboard and you're like looking down, but then you're looking up top and it would just be kind of hopping all over the place. I hated it. I'm like, I'm not going to use this. I don't want to use this. I want just the original Safari, but what they've now done to prevent that going from top to bottom and top to bottom, they've really just kept the URL bar down in the bottom area just generally. And if you do a search term or you're looking at a different site, it slides up just right above the keyboard. So it kind of stays in that middle to lower area. And I'll tell you, I, I'll be real with you. I hated iOS 15 Safari. But now that they've done these changes and now that they, I've used it more and they kept it all really in one area, thank goodness, um, I really like it. I think it's actually an improvement and I think that it's going to take some time for your brain to get used to it. I know my mom will probably hate this. Um, I know some people will hate it, but I do believe that the new tweaks to kind of really keep it located at the bottom are going to make all the difference and people are going to like it a whole lot more, although there will be initial shock. I do think it's an improvement overall. They also changed Safari in Mac OS Monterey where they were kind of really trying to do a streamlined look where there's only, you know, the single search URL bars at top and tabs were all in like one row, but people hated that. So they brought back the fact that you have your standard URL bar and then below it, you have your different tabs or pages that are open, uh, websites that are open. And so check it out, check out the video. You have the option to kind of give it that more clean minimalist Mac OS Monterey look or the more standard traditional look and maybe you evolve or grow with it over time. I, I like the Mac OS Monterey version. I don't really have a problem with it whether they have the tab bars on it or not, but it was iOS 15, which I, I wanted to just, I was like, I don't want to use this browser at all. But now with the new tweaks, I really like it. And that's, that shows that they're listening. I think that was, I've never seen them make such a big fundamental change to a core app you know, Apple tends to believe what they believe, but they really listened and it's been all for the better. So I think you're all going to like it when it comes out in iOS 15 sometime, you know, around September with the launch of the phone. All right. The big story this week really didn't get much traction at all, but man, I feel like it, it sets up a lot of things for the future of the Apple watch. So I think I talked about this previously. There's a company named Rockley Photonics. And Rockley Photonics is a partner and really the primary supplier for some of the components in Apple's Apple Watch, but specifically anything really related to these scanners or sensors, for example, like the blood oxygen sensor um, that do the bio, the health metrics for you. Rockley Photonics is the company that is behind the scenes providing those components for Apple. Now, Rockley Photonics recently unveiled their new advanced digital sensor system that we believe will likely come to the Apple Watch in the future. But this is what they call a clinic on the wrist. And this thing sounds like the holy grail, the OMG, the damn, like hot damn sensor for smartwatches in the future. And they're a direct partner and supplier for Apple. So in this Clinic on the wrist, what they have is if you look them up, Rockley Photonics, it's R-O-C-K-L-E-Y Photonics. Um, they have this wristband right now and it has their sensors. So this is kind of like a, I don't want to call it a beta, but this is their proof of concept for manufacturers and for testing as well. This digital health sensor is non-invasive and it enables, if you're putting this into a wearable device, it allows them to monitor multiple biomarkers, including core body temperature, blood pressure, body hydration, alcohol, lactate, and glucose trends, and more. All of those metrics that you saw there, that you've heard there, are not in the Apple Watch yet. Not even blood pressure, uh, none of that. 
Now this technology uses a miniaturized chip solution and it uses optical sensors that are non-invasive. So for our friends and family members and loved ones with diabetes who have to prick their finger all the time to get their blood sugar levels measured, this sensor, ideally if it works as advertised, would prevent us from doing that. And we've been talking about, everyone kind of had hoped, oh, blood glucose monitoring is what we want to see in the next Apple Watch. Whether that affects me or not, it affects hundreds of millions of people. It's a game changer if they don't have to prick their fingers anymore or anything of that nature. Now, to get into the tech a little, because people are still a little skeptical, and this thing does need to have extensive testing. This wearable itself, or most wearables that you see, even early renditions of the Apple Watch used green LEDs, and that was able to at least measure and monitor your heart rate on the surface of the skin. But Rockley's sensors use infrared spectrophotometers. Whew, I said that, spectrophotometers. It's a That's a complicated word, y'all. But they use infrared spectrophotometers that can detect and monitor a wider range of biometrics like those that I talked about. So it increases the functionality of the wearable watch because these sensors generate lasers to non-invasively probe beneath the skin, and that allows them to analyze the blood, interstitial fluids, layers of the dermis for specific constituents like you know alcohol, blood alcohol uh, contents, uh, lactate, and other physical phenomena. So this is like the freak of nature Superman sensor for all digital health sensors. Now, this is going to be their first gen offering, and they're going to be using it a variety of human studies in the coming months to really figure out, and it has to get tested and approved as well. But this is the reference design, and we're going to see how it tests out there were reports from Bloomberg, I think just a couple of weeks ago, that Apple had been hoping to include a body temperature sensor in this year's Apple Watch, but it ended up being pushed out and not being able to make it. And so if you remembered when I talked about what this sensor can do, body temperature is one of those metrics. So that kind of leads me to believe they weren't going to put this whole uh, full-fledged sensor with all of these different uh, readings that it can measure, but at least it was going to include body temperature in addition to the oxygen blood monitoring it has. Uh, there were no reports that blood pressure is is coming yet as well for this coming year. It just feels like the Apple Watch. I I don't. I'm going to be curious what it actually can measure because this health narrative is huge. And if you look at this sensor from Rockley, let me just go over. You know, again, the different types of things it can measure. Okay, core body temperature, blood pressure body hydration, alcohol, so that would be the alcohol levels in your body, important for uh, people who might be drunk driving or not feeling, not really doing so hot and trying to jump in that car. Lactate would be um, when you build up lactic acid in your body after workouts, um, and so that, that, would be a, that would be able to measure that. And then glucose trends. Now, I don't know if that is really true to glucose blood monitoring and how specific that is because they use, it's the only marker they talk about that they use the word trends but again that is another really holy grail for health monitoring this thing has it all this is like the swiss army if this gets in the apple watch no one's gonna stop them no one this thing is damn impressive but this doesn't sound like it's gonna be a year away it doesn't even it might even be longer than a year away with testing and approval it could be two to three years away so this rockley photonics digital health sensor gets me really excited for the future future, but not the near future. Um, it sounds amazing. May, maybe it makes it into consumer smartwatches as soon as next year, but there's going to be a lot that's going to be really fast-tracked for that to happen. We will see. The thinking also is that if you look at the blood oxygen monitoring sensor on the current Apple Watch Series 6, that's a red, right? You see it's a it's an infrared laser, and maybe... It's not as complex because it can't go as deep as maybe this one does, but that's clearly a Rockley photonic sensor, and this partnership has lasted for a long time. So we'll see what happens. Apple Watch Series 7 coming up this year. Nothing in the rumor mill has made it sound compelling, and I swear, my Series Watch, my Series 4, that thing is doing damn good even now. So we'll see what happens there. Now, I want to take a little baby, not baby tangent, but 
there's some deals that you should be aware of. I know last week I talked about, oh, there's a AirPods Max deal, and I'm trying not make you spend a lot of money, but it was like $70, $70 off on Amazon uh, for the blue and the black models. Well, now, website Adorama, I think they... I don't even... You know what? I've never learned how to properly pronounce that. Is it Adorama or Adorama? They sell a lot of like camera gear and things like that um, and tech stuff. Well, if you go to their website, you can purchase the AirPods Max for any color right now, $449. That is $100 off. That is the biggest discount and the best price we've seen so far. I'm still not saying go buy $449 headphones. It's it's a hard ask, but if you were on the fence on on the 549 and you really wanted to get them, 549 looks pretty good right now. I'm Again, I'm not trying to convince you to do that, but check it out, Adorama's website. All colors available still. I just checked $449 a pop if if you want to go there. Also, uh, maybe there's just like Apple's audio products just aren't selling as well because their price versus value add may not be the best, at least in the minds of the general consumer. HomePod Mini is now $89.99 on B&H Photo at this moment. Uh, that... That's the second price we've seen so far. I think Simply Mac at one time had it for like 79 or 80 bucks, but $10 off on the HomePod Mini if you want something like that. It, to me, it's like a nice bathroom speaker, but I, I would never use it for surround sound or stereo speaker for a TV. It's just not that good. I I think the TV audio in, in many TVs has a deeper sound than the HomePod Mini. That's just me. So do what you want with that. Apple Arcade also is getting three new classics added. I don't I don't hear people talking about or raving about Apple Arcade anymore. I thought it was a great proposition for families, but I just haven't seen you know like anything you can have a great console like I thought the PS Vita, the, the Sony PS Vita was an amazing product. I bought into it early. I bought into it and I loved it, but there just weren't enough games to support it and software and hardware always matters. So Apple's releasing a remastered Angry Birds Reloaded. Or, okay, it's not remastered, but it's Angry Birds Reloaded. It's It's got some new spicy visual enhancements, but, it, you know, it's still Angry Birds. You've also got Doodle God Universe and Alto's Odyssey, The Lost City, all coming to Apple Arcade. I don't think that's enough for me to still do $4.99 for year, per year for myself individually. I'm on the breaking point of getting the bundle for uh, the Apple Apple services, Apple One. I almost forgot the name of it. I'm on the verge because I've started to really like using Apple News Plus over time, but I'm going to stop it and see if it really makes a difference for me or not. So I've done it for like three months and I really like it because I, I can really just read anything that's on there. I am going to stop my subscription and see how much I need it because now I'm thinking, okay, $10 there. Now that Apple Music has spatial audio, um, maybe I'll give it a try. I still haven't. That's $20 right there. And then I do like Apple Fitness Plus, even though I don't use it. And there's more storage. And I'm not going to use Apple Arcade, but it start. I think they got to just give me kind of like one more thing to put me over the top. I don't know what that one more thing is, but I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Some of you all I know, you know, for families and stuff, it makes more sense, but I'm not there yet. So I'm on the verge. So games coming to Apple Arcade. We'll see how compelling that is. I just don't hear people really like using the service as much as I thought it would this far in. Because uh, I think thought they launched with some really killer games. But after that, I think the momentum has kind of slowed down. But someone who wants to kind of take advantage of gaming, um, Apple Arcade might face a little competition because Netflix is planning. Netflix is planning to expand into video games as well. That's according to Bloomberg. They hired former Electronic Arts and Facebook executive Mike Verdu as their vice president of game development. Uh, some experience that he has helping launch games and content to the Oculus VR headset. And for those that... I love what Oculus is doing with the Oculus Quest 2. That is the ultimate right now, like the best example of VR in a smooth consumer form factor. I, I do obviously wish there was more content, but they have more than enough content to keep you entertained. But I still can only wear the things for like 20, 30 minutes before I'm like, okay, I'm good, I'm good. But I think it's been a success and the content that they've delivered there has been a success. The The issue with Netflix doing video games 
is it's on so many different devices at so many different processor speeds and levels. The games don't think I don't just don't think they're going to be that interesting. I could see like maybe choose your own adventure type story games would be kind of fun stuff. Um, you know, shoot, who was the studio? I'm gonna people are gonna kick my butt. Is it is it Telltale that did some of the kind of the narrative stuff for the Guardians of the Galaxy game, the Batman game? Ooh, I could be totally wrong with that studio. Uh, I'm just saying it off the top of my head. But anyways, gaming coming to Netflix and Apple Arcade might want to just pay attention. All right, everybody, I told you we have calls. We're going to get to our calls. Remember, be a part of the show. It adds so much flavor to it. All you got to do is record a voice memo, whatever device you're on, a Windows machine, an Android phone, an Apple iPhone, iPad, Mac, whatever. Record it. Send it in. Show at gmail.com. That's Apple Bits with a Z. All right, we've got two calls. One is longer than the other, but I'll tell you why. But first up, we've got a call from a man, Jay. Thanks, Brian. This is Jay from DC. My basic question is Mac and iPad. The new Mac Mini, when does that come out with the M2 chip? When will they add more ports to it? I think I can wait for that. My Mac is from 2013. I want to upgrade. My iPad is from the it's the original iPad. So I want to upgrade from that. It doesn't work anymore. It doesn't do anything. Just for media consumption, shopping, light gaming, which one do you think I should pick? Um, the Air, I'm not looking at the 64 gigabyte. You got to get at least 256 gigs. And the price difference between the 11 um, and the 256 gig Air is not that much of a difference. What you think is best, or do you think 12.9 inch is the best, or should we wait for 2022 to get that three nanometer processor, maybe a OLED Air? When do you think that would come out? Um, I'm just torn. I, I want one now, but I could wait till next year if you um, if you think that's best. Thanks. Woo. Okay, my man Jay. Hey, thank you so much for uh, calling in, and I'm gonna try my best to answer all of those questions. Okay, first up. Let's talk about Mac Mini and the M2. So the latest reports are that the M2 processor may potentially come in 2022 with a MacBook Air first. Um, there, there's more, more likely we'll see the M1X chip with more cores and more power in the Mac Mini before we see an M2 in the Mac Mini. I'm just saying that that's the direction it's going. I could be wrong. Also, the fact that the M2 is coming out and potentially launching with the MacBook Air first would lean me towards to believe that although the M2 will be a more powerful processor, you would argue that the M1X, depending on how many cores they put on there, depending on how what they put, do with the GPU, the M1X chip would be more powerful than the entry-level M2 in a MacBook Air. So first thing, I don't think we're going to see anything M2 this year. That's me. I mean, also, it's just a naming thing, quite honestly, what Apple wants to do. All we've heard is M1X, M1X, M1X. So whatever that next-gen chip is, if it's an M1X chip, by all means, go get the Mac Mini. Um, maybe they maybe they give it to us this year. They might. But I think the focus is going to be the MacBook Pro is really like the superstar that they're going to really want to try and showcase that with. And then um, we do still expect new Max. I'm not saying an iMac yet, but new Max potentially by the end of the year as well. So um, on your Mac mini issue, wait on that. Now with the iPad Air or iPad, depending on where you want to go, this comes down to really what you do. And it sounds like if you've been good with the original OG iPad, which I own and love, um, that you're basically just doing web surfing, email, and watching videos. Like you're doing kind of the ultimate consumption product and a little bit of stuff, but not too much. I would actually, if you're in the market and that's, if you don't plan on using this or have any intentions on using this as a creative device from a standpoint of you're thinking, oh, maybe in a few years I'm gonna do heavy video editing on it or X, Y, and Z. The reality is that Apple has shown us nothing in the cards that they still wanna support that or wanna go in that direction for the next few years you know you see you saw what they gave us with the ipad pro this year um and they still haven't done anything software wise and so that means they're just making a more powerful ipad pro that does the same stuff my feeling is if you're comparing storage space and whatnot the 12.9 you don't need the 12.9 i love it because i read a lot of comics i read a lot of magazines on the go i just like the feeling that it's kind of equivalent to like uh a tenant what is it 
eight and a half by 11 uh, piece of paper. Is that the proper measurement? <laughs> but it just feels, I can see everything the size that I, I've seen it in the real world. That's why I like it. But most people, the 11 inch is a perfect sweet spot. And to me, the whatever you're doing, whether it's the air or an entry level 11, you get more capacity with that air and you're probably gonna be doing the same things. If you've been surviving on a first gen iPad this whole time, you're gonna be more than okay, more than okay with an iPad Air. So that's where I would direct you towards. And the other thing is that when we talk about just in general for people that are listening to this, you know, people have been asking me, oh, when will there be a large screen iMac? I I don't think we're gonna get a large screen iMac this year. I don't think we're gonna get that 27 inch plus iMac. And the only reason I say that is that there's been nothing in the cards that have pointed to us that it's coming and that's okay, right? But all reports said that at one time, Apple was working on both the 24-inch and the larger screen iMac simultaneously together, but because of resources and manpower and allocation, they actually stopped the 27-inch plus iMac, iMac Pro, whatever you want to call it for this year, and allocated all their resources on the 24-inch to get it out in time. So that really tells me that there's probably a big gap of time where that larger screen iMac was not addressed. And for them to put it out four or five months after, or six, let's say six months after the iMac 24-inch, the M1 iMac 24-inch that has been well-received, that I've seen a lot of people change their minds about it, but there's obviously a core group that wants the larger screen that's waiting. Uh, they can wait a little longer. They're fine with it. So my hunch is that we don't see a large iMac Pro type device this year, but we do see it next year. We'll see. Again, you call me bad Apple, but all the signs are pointing that way, and that's that's what I'm going off when, when I say that. So hopefully that kind of assessment helped you all out and also helped you out, Jay, so appreciate the call. All right, so this next call is from a first-time caller. He makes some great points. It's a longer call. It's longer than two minutes. It's longer than three minutes, but I think there's a lot of good stuff in here, so I'm going to let our man and recent new listener to the podcast, Woody, have his time to shine. Hey, Brian, my name is Woody White, and uh, I'm out of the uh, South Jersey area, and I'm new to your podcast, and what I decided to do was go back and listen to a few of your older podcasts, and, uh, you know, I think I'm going to be a regular listener, Um, but I also wanted to respond to one of your podcasts where you talk about Apple removing all of the ports. And I think you and your guest did a great job, but I don't think you really went deep enough into the issues of removing all the ports. So I just wanted to add my two cents. So I'm actually uh, an iPhone user. I've had an iPhone since the original iPhone, and I'm still using it today. And uh, I would have to say that if Apple removed all of the ports, I would most likely be looking at uh, moving to Android um, unless they start doing the same stupid thing. So let's talk about the battery problem. So I'm what you would call a road warrior. So I travel between the U.S., Italy, other countries, and these are long flights. So from a battery standpoint today, myself and others, I can see others on the plane, we have a long lightning cable into our briefcases and it kind of reaches our phone, which we just kind of put in our pocket and we listen for the entire flight. Uh, we can switch batteries very easily. Um, if they remove the port, uh, I have a newer iPhone, and sure, I could use a Qi charger and balance my phone, and I have to pull down the tray in front of me to balance my phone on that to get a charge. But even if I use the lightning uh, pack type of uh, battery charger, you know, it, it kind of sticks on, but it really kind of pops off also. And all of that just becomes more of a problem. So, I, you know, and, and in addition to that, if I had a lightning cable on most international flights and even domestic flights now, I could just plug my phone right into the port that's built into the plane. Uh, getting rid of the port from a battery standpoint for people who really use an iPhone and take long trips uh, is ridiculous. So now let's talk about the uh, AirPods. Today, um, I have my AirPods. They last sometimes maybe four hours into the flight unless I use one air, you know, at a time and I could extend it. But 
you know, I have to take the AirPods out and start charging them. While they're charging again, I just switch to my Lightning uh, earpiece and uh, I can listen for the rest of the trip without my AirPods. I have a choice. You get rid of the ports. Now I have to charge my AirPods. I have nothing now. And I have to wait for those to charge again. And uh, or I buy multiple sets of wireless headphones. And I'm sorry, I'm just not doing that. Uh, these things are not cheap. And uh, I, I just think it's a bad idea uh, to do that. So, um, you know, again, getting rid of the ports just doesn't make any sense, even from, a, you know, a, a earbud standpoint. And my final point is. I drive a lot as well, heavily dependent on Apple CarPlay. I can't even imagine removing the ports and what that would do for many people who use Apple CarPlay. I mean, I would say only 2% of new automobiles uh, support Apple Car wireless Apple CarPlay. Everybody else has a uh, lightning cable in order to get a, a CarPlay to work. So to remove... Uh, uh, all the ports uh, says to me that uh, Apple has at least five to eight years before they can do that if they expect CarPlay to be prominent out there and be used. But for me, if they were to get rid of these things and remove the ports anytime soon, uh, like I said, unless Android is starting to do the same dumb thing, I would be getting rid of my Apple device and moving over to Android uh, just because we're removing all the ports for people who really travel a lot and use things like CarPlay uh, would just be a waste to buy an Apple device. Thanks. All right, Woody, Woody, thank you so much for calling in. I mean, I think all your points, I liked it because they're so real. They're so real world applicable. And at the same time, uh, you know, when I'm listening, I'm, you know, we talked about earlier how, oh, that Touch ID sensor in the iPhone isn't coming anytime soon. And that in itself really paints the picture of, okay, this this holy grail in Apple's mind, again, holy grail in Apple's mind is this slate, single piece of glass, it's portless. And they, they are really starting to get to the point where they start having some of those pieces of the puzzle put there. But even if they do it, I don't think it's happening for at least another three to four years. Let's Let's even be conservative and say four years, knowing with all the components and kind of the time it takes for them. And even if they did it, it wouldn't be the only iPhone. Like to me, I look at that single slate iPhone as the concept car of the future of the iPhone. And if they did it, it would be there. And we already know wireless charging is pretty in general, a lot slower than many of us even like. Um, and some people manage it, will be able to manage it differently. Some people won't like that. But whether it's CarPlay, whether it's charging, you, whether it's listening to your earbuds, I thought those were all great points. But I think that even if they do it, they know that they, they'll outright know why they're doing it. And all of those things that you mentioned are issues, but their their solution will be, oh, we have this other phone with the same processor that has the ports you want. That's going to be cheaper, quote unquote cheaper. It'll be like a thousand instead of fourteen hundred. <laughs> Let's be real. And most likely because you're in the ecosystem and you might be deep in the ecosystem, whether it's you, Woody, or someone else, you're probably going to say, okay, no to the portless iPhone until all that gets figured out. And there will be more and more cars that use CarPlay over Bluetooth in four to five years as well. Uh, I'm not saying that people upgrade their cars every four to five years, but there will be. Um, but you'll probably end up getting that other phone that still does everything your phone does right now with a better processor and say, oh, that concept phone is nice, but that's not for me. And that's what they're banking on too, right? They have, Apple has proven to us that no matter what they put out, the ecosystem has become so incredibly powerful. We're willing to not have a fingerprint touch ID sensor. We're willing to keep a notch in a phone. We're willing to not have as much battery power, battery juice in a phone because it's a slimmer design. We're willing to, you know, have a camera that looks great, but from a functionality standpoint, is nowhere close to what's happening on other platforms. Uh, we're willing to really 
be settled and okay with the comfortability and the benefits of the ecosystem versus having a product that quite honestly has the best tech available today. And once they release that product that has the best tech available today, if it happens to be that concept phone, not everyone's going to go towards it, but they're still going to stay in the ecosystem. And Apple knows this. The data shows that Apple knows this. That's why we get slow burn on some of these features that everyone knows should have been there two, three years ago, four years ago. They got us by the apples, everybody. And you know what? We A lot of us are probably nodding and laughing. Like, yeah, you know, they do. I mean, they still make great products, you know, in general. Yeah. And the ecosystem is, I am so deep in the ecosystem. It's, I've, I actually love the, S, the Galaxy S21 Ultra. I love the Z Fold 2, their latest one. And I know the Z Fold 3 is going to be amazing. The Z Fold 2 was my favorite tech product of 2020. I've said that a few times here. I think the Z Fold 3, if they continue to polish it as much as they have and make it even slimmer and do a few things, it will arguably be my favorite tech product of 2021. But I'm not going to switch over because of as a creator and how I use these devices, the ecosystem matters. Scratch that. The MacBook Pro 16-inch M1X, if it delivers what, what it does, that will be my first, my my personal tech product of the year that's that's it but from a phone standpoint man that z fold is money it also costs a lot of money so we'll see what happens but it's always fun to kind of talk this stuff out and we there look the android people love certain things about their devices too and hate certain things about theirs as well the grass is always greener my friends it's uh, not always but we we think it is <laughs> we always think it is All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this episode, this week's show. Thank you so much for coming out. Before we leave, we got to give a big thanks to my Patreon supporters at the $100 Platinum Apple level. Sheesh. Brandon Ledford, Gil Cabrera, Wesley Frader, Jared Lewis, and Atari Koenigsegg, thank you so much for your contributions and your support. Thank you to all of you who continue to allow this to keep on happening. I am so grateful. So patreon.com slash Tong is how you support everything that we do here. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this week. We will talk to you next time. Same bat time, same bat channel, same bat podcast. It's the Apple Bits XL, baby. We'll talk to you soon. Peace. Peace.